again, my gorgeous listeners, and thanks for joining in in the new year into another episode of the Glow West podcast. We're here to chat all about the wonders of sex, sexuality, and the body. And as always, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and of course, my favorite topic of sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack to help keep the mics up and running or please rate and review over an apple and you can now review on spotify which is pretty awesome so please do pop over and review over there if you like so today we are talking about the wonderful world of sexual pleasure which is no surprise to any regular listeners that's what we talk about in the podcast but sometimes that's not as straightforward as we would like and there is a concept called the politics of sexual pleasure and we do need to explore that to make sure everyone gets to live the sexual life that they want to have so to explore this i have the perfect guest. I have Kathleen Ziga, who is in the final year of her PhD studies in international development at the King's College in London. She completed a Master of Science in Social Anthropology at the London School of Economics and Political Science, and she also holds a BA in Applied Psychology and Sociology. In her interdisciplinary research, she is investigating the politics of sexual pleasure and she also discusses topics relevant to her research on her YouTube channel. So, Catalin, how are you in this brand new year? It's still COVID, but we'll forget about that for now. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Caroline, and thank you so much for this lovely introduction. Um, Yeah, I'm great. And thank you so much for having me. Fabulous. Well, that's that's a good start. (laughs) We like people (laughs) when they're like happy and ready to go. Um, So talk to me about the politics of sexual pleasure. Like what does that actually mean? Is it just related to things like the orgasm gap or is there a little bit more to it? Well, the orgasm gap is definitely part of this topic, but it is slightly more complicated than that in my view. Um, I would say that the politics of sexual pleasure uh, refers to a system within which sexual experiences uh, of individuals play out according to a power system, which very much reflects the system of gender, where persons of a certain gender, sex, class and race are much more powerful than uh, the subordinated others. Um, and if we were to take part, uh, take apart the, the two, as in sexual pleasure and uh, politics, uh, sexual pleasure um, basically means the, the physical and or psychological satisfaction from erotic experiences. And politics has to do with uh, governance and status and, and power within a system much like the system of gender, which is uh, very hierarchical. And uh, so the questions we might want to ask when looking at this particular power system is whose pleasure counts and who benefits and who is disadvantaged and who has a choice in this sexual experience or an experience related to sex. And uh, to what degrees? And um, and this is probably the the key in this analysis, and which is why I chose uh, sexual pleasure as the center of my analysis in my thesis. Mm-hmm. It's choice, it's agency, it's about the capacity to act independently and and make free choices. And sex, uh, while it is seen and understood to be very personal and private, it is laden with meanings and shaped by norms. And uh, it it does reflect a power system. And unlike other points of analysis in gender, such as employment or earnings or representation, sex, uh, in particular mainstream heterosex, remains very much of a, a reflection of gendered social norms. Mm, yeah, and that, that are going across all of, all of society. Well, talk talk us through that that gender part of things. So you know, gender is obviously very much linked to sexuality as well, and so we have a difference between, you know, say say for example, let's pick women. So straight women or queer women, um, have different experiences with their sexual pleasure. depending on the partners that they have Um, and the same for any gender I suppose as well so talk us through that relationship between how 
your gender and your sexuality can impact your experiences of sexual pleasure? Yes. So actually, there are two things here that I can think of. One is uh, a research that has been um, done in psychology where it was measured um, uh, like who has the most uh, uh, satisfying sexual experiences by by gender and uh, and sexual orientation, and um, and it was very interesting to see that the hierarchy hierarchy went like this: heterosexual men were on top as uh, having the most enjoyment from sex. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, came uh, non-heterosexual men and then came um, uh, non-heterosexual women and then uh, right at the bottom were uh, uh, heterosexual women. So I think that is a very interesting uh, uh, thing to observe. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, secondly, uh, what I can bring to this question from my own research, which takes place in Peru, um, is uh, that I have interviewed uh, mostly heterosexual women, but I also interviewed, I think about maybe more than 30% of my participants were uh, not identifying as uh, heterosexual. Um, so uh, I, I would say non-heterosexual purely because uh, there were a lot in the mix and okay. uh, some of them were not uh, not happy with any label. <laughs> so, so, um, so this is why I'm, I'm saying non-heterosexual, but within that, uh, um, uh, I think the, perhaps the most uh, commonly understood identity that could uh, uh, could could uh, uh, could be said about these women would be maybe lesbian or bisexual. Um, but again, <laughs> that wasn't how they understood their identity. This is why I'm just uh, yeah, uh, about the hetero. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so, in answer to your question. Um, um, the women who did not have heterosex uh, for the majority of their uh, sexual uh, experiences, they seemed really very clear on what they wanted. They knew what they wanted. They understood their body really uh, quite well. And, uh, and, and pleasure was very much uh, part of their vocabulary. Whereas uh, women whose, whose sexual experiences were mostly heterosex, um, they were uh, a lot less um, in charge of their experiences. And um, they were a lot less inclined to prioritize their uh, prioritize anything else but their own partner's pleasure okay okay well is it, there's two things in that is there like there's one that can it be said then that that hetero women are less likely to be an advocate for their pleasure but also their partner so a straight male is less interested in giving pleasure so that's I think it's both. Bad mix, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think it's both. I think uh, there, there is, uh, there is, there is on one part we socialize uh, girls and boys very differently, so we kind of like already slot people into what is possible for them uh, and what is not really quite possible for them like from an early age and so there is there is that <laughs> and then we we then have very different uh, expectations um both uh, socially or or politically or economically but also sexually when uh, when these two uh, uh, different um uh, genders uh, meet sexually so there's that and then there's also um um you know having a like 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 being socialized into pleasing your partner and then your partner being a woman then um it also then definitely going to raise the experience mm -hmm. from uh, the that power imbalance that we can observe in heterosex yeah yeah that's the, like the power dynamic is definitely you know, you know, needs to be examined. But when when you're saying that there, I'm kind of struck by the idea of, you know, how we, we do socialize different genders differently and, and different sexualities differently. But I then wonder if like, okay, if this is what we're doing to to young young people, but then 
like we see these representations of sexuality everywhere in the media and porn in our family and religion mm. everything but then queer people are often left out of that like because there's not great representation of queer people in in as much mainstream media and stuff like that as well so then do you think it's like because they're left to their own devices that they can kind of have a bit more freedom to break free of those gender norms and those sexuality norms because they're kind of just like left out of the discussion so is this a positive of you know being ignored by the media and how we socialize because like sex education in most countries focuses on a man and a woman and they insert a penis and a vagina and they make a baby and that's pretty much it when it comes to lots of sex ed and queer people have to just figure it out for themselves yes i uh, definitely i think i think there's an element of that um what i can uh, say from my research uh, in uh, in lima uh, is that uh, it seems the queer community they have their own community and they seem to be talking about sex a lot for them it is um, very much part of the discussion uh, a dis- discussion of rights as well as sexual rights and therefore sexual pleasure becomes a topic like really quite common common topic whereas my my heterosexual participants um they 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 would not they would not really encounter these discussions they would not really think about or talk about it especially it's for a woman to talk about uh sex is is not really uh appropriate so that's already like that taboo already kills the conversation from the get-go and i had um uh, I recently uh, uh, posted a, 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 cha- um, a video on my channel about Azerbaijan. I interviewed some young women about their experiences in Azerbaijan. And actually one of my, I think it was one of my male participants who, who male interviewees who said that um, uh, for women to talk about sex is so shameful that uh, it's, it, it, is, it, it is just, already a hindrance to open up any discussion about uh, sexuality or and and uh, uh, or rights alongside sexual experiences because and and that's also then kind of goes into the fact that there is so much sexual violence um, uh, committed against women and if there is this shame a lot of women do not come forward with it because they know that they will be stigmatized uh, in this these kind of settings where um, if you are sexualized or there is some you have something to do with sex even if you are a victim of sexual violence then you're going to be stigmatized so so having that environment where women's women's uh, sexuality is a taboo is already really far from conducive to to then start talking about voice political voice and and rights and so on mm, that's a really good point and especially for um for queer people as well because if you are a victim of sexual violence and you know you're gonna have to out yourself if you want to come forward and in some exactly. countries that's like life-threatening you know you cannot come out as as queer in those countries so it, it's that's pretty difficult to kind of manage you know those kind of keeping everything secret and internalizing stuff and god yeah it's kind of basically a mess isn't it that's um that's a lot well you and you've traveled quite extensively you were telling me that you've traveled over 100 countries which i'm insanely jealous of that's fantastic (laughs) yes Um, i've been fortunate oh so so lucky like what have you seen any differences across the world you just mentioned as azerbaijan there and that seems quite common in many countries like that element of victim blaming specifically on people that are socialized as women but have you noticed any kind of particular patterns around the world around those politics of sex sexual pleasure yes and uh and actually i love this question very much because uh obviously i i love traveling and discovering uh, different uh, uh cultures and and i i like to talk to to the people um uh, about their experiences and and somehow whenever uh, people find out uh, what I research, they 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 tend to ask me or t- they tend to share a lot of stories and a lot of their a lot of their experiences. So uh, obviously this 
catches my <laughs> interest and uh, and uh, it is very much uh, on the radar for me uh, because of my research as well. Um, so answering a question, um, unfortunately, what I'm seeing is the pattern seems to be uh, very similar. And, um, and I also probably need to emphasize that everything I am researching is basically talking about mainstream heterosex. So there is a, a whole other world uh, outside that that I'm not touching with my research or um, or with these discussions either because uh, it just gets too complicated and then yeah, mixing the two. You'll be doing a PhD <laughs> for about 50 years if we tried to cover absolutely everything. So yeah, you have to be a bit more niche, unfortunately, because yes. as much as you'd love to do everything, it's not possible for one person. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But um, so when we are talking about um, uh, uh, rights and and uh, and we're talking about gender equality and uh, uh, so my research falls uh, under international development and in development when we are talking about um, programs that uh, that are aimed at uh, achieving gender equality we always focus on um, focus on uh, uh, economic empowerment and political voice this seems to be the gold standard <laughs> and and then and then interestingly i visited uh, iceland and uh, and i interviewed young women about their sexual experiences there because i just thought well we all are heading for what iceland has iceland has topped the charts of gender equality for years that's true yeah and their representation in their parliament yes. and stuff yeah. amazing They've got really amazing uh, uh, laws, like as of, I think next year, like I think the law has been in place for the last few years, but from, from next year onward, it's, uh, it, it is expected that the gender wage gap is 100% uh, laminated. Yeah. And, um, and also, uh, they, yes, they, they have like basically like the representation in place, the political voice, the, 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 everything is, is so wonderfully done in that country. So then, um, um, you know, poking around the topic of sexual pleasure becomes even more interesting. Yes, and yeah. um, and so what I I, I found um, um, before I'm talking about Iceland, uh, I will uh, uh, just uh, clarify what I have uh, said about Azerbaijan um, and uh, and Azerbaijani women's uh, sexual experience being uh, of not very good <laughs> same for like other countries where I visited it's it's uh, when it's when it comes to heterosex the pattern is the same pretty much the question is to what degree <laughs> like yeah, yeah, that's does, does it <laughs> <laughs> does it does it uh, does it even does sexual pleasure ever come on the surface uh, or or never like basically this is the difference um but but it's never uh, i've never actually uh, come across a place where women were were yeah sure we're we're powerful we, we get what we want uh, only in women's magazines in the west that's the only place um <laughs> it's just but... that's so depressing and even that's not even true it's just like performative stuff and yes. you know like oh yeah Yes, but then going back to then, okay, so what happens when gender equality is achieved? Um, so the pattern is surprisingly not that different. So uh, what I found with, with the, these young women I talked to, that they, they said, they explicitly said that they, they, they have a lot of opportunities and they they feel that the government does support their existence unlike many other governments um, but when it comes to uh, sexual experiences i thought this is going to be uh, an amazing amazing like place. utopia <laughs> of everything yes <laughs> because all you hear like you know obviously Icelandic women are very powerful. They, they are, they are, they are, uh, they, they, they approach men. They, they, uh, but they also have, they, they also come across very sexually liberated, which is really amazing. When you are from the outside, you observe this uh, system, and and you see, uh, yes, that's the kind of women all women need to be, yeah. you know. <laughs> but then. Um, 
then, then listening to their experiences, uh, they were saying how it is um, more about him. It is more about his pleasure and why they do experience pleasure. Uh, it's not like they feel sexually oppressed. The, the, the expectation is really, if it's not in a long-term relationship, that, it is, that sex is going to be about the guy. Okay, well, that's depressing because um, you have like all those lovely public aspects of yes. equality, but it doesn't seem to be private equality in, in their, their personal sexual lives. So like, what, what is it then? What, what's that gap? Because on the surface, if people are willing enough to, you know, put all those measures in place, make sure there yeah. is equality, but they're not practicing what they preach in the bedroom. Well, I think this is a super interesting question. <laughs> this is this is now going into the why do we even encounter this gap? What is happening here? I mean, obviously we have to um, take into account that that all of this is very much governed by social norms. So why why the politics of sexual pleasure would even exist is more of a question of. Um, like how I, I think on the surface, uh, it, it has to do with, with tradition and, and religion and, and the gendered social norms. But I think if we go deeper, then we will see that it very much has to do with capitalism and, and private property. And uh, then you have to go down, I mean, it's it's probably interesting to go down the route of what do we know from the history and anthropology of gender and there are some snippets there that can help our little investigation here <laughs> like um i mean once uh, if we are looking at the whole private property thing once private property becomes a thing then then uh, inheritance becomes a thing and in that case who belongs to where becomes also important as in uh, who is your child and who isn't <laughs> and um, yeah and anthropologists observed the most common system to avoid incest and to strengthen the gene pool has been to marry off the daughters to and 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 the and the, and the son stays and inherits and in order for for knowing exactly whose offspring is linked to which mother, <laughs> there there had to be a system to control women's sexuality, and you know, of course, we would then ask, uh, you know, why why women's sexuality is being controlled here and not men's, but men having. Uh, sexual intercourse has no visible outcome on them, but women having sexual intercourse may result in pregnancy, which is really very visible. So controlling women's sexuality is really uh, quite practical in that sense. And then how rituals and traditions and religions often carry values that once were practical, but, uh, you know, maybe less practical today, but yeah. still remain. Yeah, well, it, it's hard to unpack all those like centuries of being forced upon. But that's that's a really good point. Like capitalism and Christianity really went hand in hand, like you're saying, for those private um, deals about inheritance and, and land and, you know, kind of controlling bloodlines and all those kind of things. But what about in other countries then where it wasn't necessarily Christianity? Maybe there, you know, maybe completely different approaches um a bit of socialism or a bit of communism mm -hmm. something that isn't as capitalist or you know just completely different like tribal structures or something like that like in in your travels have you been into maybe perhaps some you know african countries or asian countries that would take a different approach and they wouldn't have had that i suppose western christianity approach of obviously colonialism is a thing that we cannot get away from um in most countries around the world unfortunately but did you notice any differences there with di those different structures yes so um i have a couple of thoughts around this um there is one um very interesting uh, i haven't actually been to rwanda but i would love to go and someday hopefully i will go but rwanda comes to mind when you're asking these different patterns so in rwanda there is a there's a, uh, 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 there's a word for um, um, making a woman squirt, which I don't, I can't recall what the word is, but that seems to be a part of uh, 
uh, like a part of the sexual experience. So that is like like being able to pleasure a woman is part of uh, very much part of heterosex. But then again, I thought then I came across this. This was actually early on in my research, early enough that I would have been able to to change my focus and and then go and and collect data from Rwanda instead. That would be an amazing PhD experience. That would be fab. Wow. However, I, I changed my mind because um, the more I looked at this, the more I observed that it was not actually about um, uh, women's uh, sexual pleasure or women's voice or what women want or what is good for women, but it was very much part of um, accomplishing masculinity, right. which is exactly the issue that, that we are dealing with the rest of the world. So that's a very nice anom anomaly there, but uh, uh, interestingly still feeds into the patriarchal value system. And secondly, another thing you mentioned, communism. There is a, there is a, a book uh, by, uh, I think, Goodall, is the author's name called Why uh, Women Had Better Sex Under Socialism uh, or Under Communism, oh, whichever one. Yeah, I vaguely yes. remember that title. Yeah, I haven't read it, but it, yeah, yeah. Okay, I need to put it's that It's a very on the interesting book. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, she's doing uh, research in, uh, in uh, the post Soviet countries and uh, post uh, communist countries. And uh, and she she had uh, an interview with um, uh, with a with a man in um, West Germany who who said that yes like like suddenly after the Berlin Wall uh, fell and then you know we were allowed to mix <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, we, we just, so the men were saying how, oh, we, we like, like dating a, um, an East Berlin woman uh, was really very difficult because, because it wasn't enough that I had money. It was, uh, I had to actually be interesting. Okay. okay. <laughs> so so wow. I think there is an element there where, um, that, which is very interesting uh, to see, you know, in, in Western countries, how feminism and how like the whole 1950s housewife um, that in, in communist countries didn't exist uh, because everybody was working. Um, so everybody had a job and, and, and while women were not in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in more powerful positions, they were like high enough so that people wouldn't notice uh, that that there is a, a patriarchal hierarchy here, but that's a huge difference. Like yeah. having jobs, having money, and having a having a having a, a voice within relationships, uh, especially in gendered settings, that is that makes a huge difference. So I I do think um, that uh, in, in when we are considering uh, women's experiences, for example, in this country, in the United Kingdom, or in the US. Um, we we then really have to bring that aspect in that women having jobs that also allows them to have uh, have some sort of say in how things go. <laughs> so so that's 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 a very different that that sort of offers different dynamics. So I think uh, yeah, sure. uh, when we're talking about political systems, they matter too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, even, you know, it, it, it's as basic sometimes as if, if a woman has money, she can afford things like birth control pills and control her fertility um, yes. or, you know, afford to have condoms so she can protect herself against STIs. So there's a huge thing about that in international development, isn't there, where in some countries that are really quite, you know, socioeconomically deprived that if, if you empower the woman, you can change the entire country around like things like population and, you know, health and, and control and autonomy and yes. all those kind of things. You do that by giving women jobs and it has this lovely ripple effect of, of equality throughout the society, which is which is really fab. Um, So, yeah, that's a whole extra element I suppose of international development but I want to come back to how we actually measure sexual pleasure because a lot of people 
so you know you know some of um the work that you'd find around inequality it's you know related to the orgasm gap and it's like oh men have this amount of orgasms and women have this but an orgasm isn't the only way to measure sexual pleasure and you don't have to have an orgasm in order to have a very great sexual experience so so how do we you know how does academia i suppose look at things like sexual pleasure because I know academia a lot the time takes that negative approach and it takes you know dysfunction as the um or the missingness of of orgasms and pleasure as as the base point we don't often talk about other forms of pleasure and the happy experiences so you know how how are we defining what sexual pleasure is great question um so Measuring uh, uh, sexual pleasure, um, or actually before I do that, I would like to make a comment on something you have just said about um, uh, empowerment and uh, employment. Um, That, yes, it is so fantastic. We have got to uh, move toward that, women in education and uh, employment. But Azerbaijan is precisely our best example for that, uh, or one of one of one of the zillion examples, I should say, <laughs> because the pattern is sadly very observable in most countries. That um, Azerbaijan's uh, education, uh, so for example, so so when it comes to education, uh, about I think fifty percent uh, of higher higher education admissions are women, and. Um, and uh, women are very much present in the labor po- labor force, uh, almost about half. Uh, so almost everyone uh, somehow is in the labor force, and uh, and that's amazing. But <laughs> it's extremely misleading too, because when they look at then the the gender wage gap, they they earn fifty percent less than men do. Fifty percent. Okay. Kind bad. of a big difference. And, Yes, and also they are all in the low-paid sectors. Yeah, so yeah. all all of them, uh, like not, nobody heads into law or engineering or IT or or any of the high-paying yeah, jobs. Like everybody or goes to and stuff. Yes, yeah. healthcare and and education. So yeah. that's a very very uh, misleading route that we do do take in in uh, in in development. Precisely why I engage in this conversation and why I um, I champion to focus on uh, sexual experiences. So answering your question on how to measure sexual pleasure, I love that question. So I I uh, started this uh, with my undergraduate uh, dissertation um, when I was looking at women's sexual experiences in the UK. And, um, and, uh, and what I found uh, starting with, uh, so, there were three concepts that I could work with, sexual pleasure, sexual satisfaction, and orgasm. Like quite often when we speak about sexual experiences, we tend to use these three somehow, somewhere, and uh, and and quite often mean something very similar. <laughs> so it's very difficult to decipher what is what. <laughs> but what I found, uh, if I went down the orgasm track, then orgasm actually um, is uh, tricky because it is very much of a physiological response. And uh, and unfortunately, um, this is not something that indicates uh, very clearly uh, whether it's a, it's a good experience or not yeah. for the person. That's a really important it. point because like people who are experiencing sexual violence can have an orgasm exactly. because it's just what your body yes. needs does and then that can lead to a lot of confusion and everything else but it's literally just what your body does exactly so there is that and also erection works the same same way it it also does not show whether uh the the person uh is actually sexually aroused and here i will mention although it's not strictly relevant but but women getting wet is also very misleading because it's a physiological response whereas a lot of people interpret it as it's arousal it's not necessarily yeah. it might be just survival yeah. so that it's not gonna hurt yeah it um, might be less damage or something like that so yeah yes. yeah very so, important to remember or recognize that so orgasm therefore is is very tricky and and it's not that clear <laughs> when it comes to sexual satisfaction um some of my my participants um in 
my first research uh, as well as in my current research uh, would be saying things when I when I ask uh, things like uh, are you sexually satisfied and they would say yes and then uh, uh, and then you know um, how does that show like you know what what are the markers and uh, how do you feel so when I ask all these questions then somehow it emerges uh, quite often or more often than not that um, some heterosexual women feel sexually satisfied when their partner is satisfied. So then it becomes very tricky because sexual satisfaction, again, does not really signal whether it feels good for the person or whether the person had any say in what events went down in this act. And um, and so then this is why I go on sexual pleasure, because it seems to be a much clearer concept to work with um, and and even that is also entangled in all sorts of uh, unclear ideas and feelings around sexuality so I'm not saying that we have a clear definition uh, that works for everyone the same way because because we don't talk about sexuality enough so yeah. that's already yeah. very difficult yeah. <laughs> To 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 have a clear idea, and then after that, measuring sexual pleasure, um, it's uh, it's it becomes very tricky. Now, what I um, I do in my research is I am basically uh, forming um, uh, um, an an idea around agency. So what I am uh, basically looking at is the capacity of being able to choose uh, experiences one actually does want. So this is this is why I feel if I then go to the heart of that sexual experience and uh, and then seeing the agency, <laughs> then we get a much clearer picture. So, so when it comes to measuring, um, I think it's it's very, very difficult in the sense of, you know, you can't just put out a survey and say, well, how many times? And and to, you know, yeah, and a, tick on a, a box on scale of one to ten. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to happen. No. What, 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 what makes uh, makes it uh, more interesting, however, is is to probe with, with with lots of little questions of how does this feel, and then what what you know, like what were you thinking after, before, and during, or you know, what's the relationship around it, and then you kind of form a picture what sexual pleasure might mean mm. to to that individual. I think I think that's a really lovely more kind of um like an authentic way really of looking at it because i'm reminded of again we don't look at the emotional side of sex enough so you know if you take the example of someone going down on someone else regardless of what genitalia you're going down on like so you're not getting any physical stimulation obviously your mouth is but um you know you're the rest of your body might not be but that might be the hottest thing in the world and some people can have an orgasm themselves that way but like obviously you know um that that might not be the case for everyone but even if you're just you know really really enjoying giving that kind of pleasure like that's sexual pleasure too even though you're not having any physical stimulation so that wouldn't show up on any of those markers of did you have an orgasm yes or no or or whatever but you know we need to talk about that mental aspect and we see that a lot in things like bdsm it's like that mental power exchange you know people really you know have a great fun time you know doing that kind of activity but that would miss out on a lot of those tests and and scales and and things like that so absolutely um, yeah how do we how do we you know your your work is you know sounds like it's going to go in that direction of like capturing that emotional side of sex a lot more because we miss it out on like in sex education and stuff as well and you know and like we know how to have sex in lots of different positions but we don't know how to explore our agency and capacity like you said so yeah how do we how do we put a lot more emphasis on that side of things well, <laughs> that's very difficult, I think, because um, society has a tendency to perpetuate this uh, power imbalance. And, um, and, and I also think that this neoliberal post-feminist discourse of 
powerful woman who who knows what she wants and gets what she wants is also really quite misleading. So that's not to say that, you know, if we look at magazines or TV shows or or pages like Oh My God, Yes, or Sex and the City, that they they have not done much for women. I do think they do much. Uh, they I, I do think it's important to to start talking about it. I do think it's important that we have material out there. I do think that uh, um, it's important to 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 talk about women's pleasure and and normalize it as much as possible, but then um, at the same time I can't help but notice that that the the discourse is very much about um, um, you know like oh, oh here here we are let's let's teach you how to how to have pleasure let's teach women how to how to have pleasure and. Um, and 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 then and then I have a problem with that because it kind of makes women look like that women have never discovered their own uh, clitoris before, yeah. and, and they didn't know. <laughs> Spoiler alert: a lot have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are very much focusing on women and and educating women about their own bodies, which is good. I'm not saying it isn't. It's very important. But we are we are still not teaching men not to oppress women and not to rape women and 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 start considering women so I think this perpetuates this feeling um, that that we have arrived we, we you know this is it feminism is not necessary yeah. but it's done now but it's grand <laughs> <laughs> yeah. clearly yeah. <laughs> so I, I I think there is uh, there is that 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 uh, uh, society doesn't really help um um, uh, you know, uh, achieving equality, and when it comes to sexual experiences, uh, you know, like my 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 research is you know very misleading in the sense that people think that I am researching sex, where whereas I I sure there is an element of that, and that's like basically the center of my analysis, but. But it is about rights. It is about uh, scrutinizing this power system that does not serve the majority, and uh, and it is about um, you know highlighting that 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 we have social norms that doesn't serve anybody, only a few. And 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 when I say when I say anybody, it, it's not like it serves men that greatly. No, <laughs> no it doesn't. Serve it doesn't. Men doesn't serve uh, uh, other uh, uh, groups either, but men also are not really served by this. No, no, and they're very kind of kept in that small little box of, uh, you, you know, negative, well, pretty much toxic masculinity a lot of the time, and that does not help anyone. Like, we need to have much more healthy masculinity, and feminism does aim to get there, but, oh, God, it's a lot of work <laughs> that we still have to do, you know, and... <laughs> Yeah, a, a lot of work. And like you said, you know, you, when you've traveled around the world and you see this over and over and over again, there's something there in the that human condition almost of, you know, these power dynamics really need to be addressed because we're talking about like comprehensive sex education and it's like, that's fantastic. Mm. But those power dynamics and that emotional side really do need to be taken into account as well. So um, I think I very much look forward to your research being published and, you know, we can bring in all those conversations into this bigger conversation because I think that's just really, really important. And yeah, it's just... Oh, it just makes you just want to like burn everything down and start again because <laughs> like <laughs> we haven't done a great job so far I think sometimes yeah maybe maybe not but um yeah I, I just yeah we might we might leave there because we'll go on a massive rant about you know like all the things and stuff and that would be a whole mm. like extra episode but I would I would love to, you to come back on on the podcast when you do finish and and tell us you know um how you do develop those theories about capacity and agency and power because I think they're just really really important and I love that you're taking that um the interdisciplinary approach because sex is interdisciplinary we bring every part of our lives into it as well and our intersectionality too so that is fantastic so um you have a youtube channel as well um where can people find you if they want to find out more about this awesome work that you're doing 
Um, I actually, yes, I do have this channel. I started it because simply because I, I feel um, um, a little bit uh, disillusioned. Just a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. When it comes to it comes to change, I I, I feel that uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a very it's difficult times when um, you know we are we are in 2021 and then we see so much uh, resistance against uh, women's uh, uh, position equal position in society. So um, you know if if you if if you look at uh, pra- practically anywhere in the world, uh, policymakers have this enormous resistance to progressive gender politics and uh, both in education and and in health and and you know developed countries are no exception as we can see what's been happening in in uh, all, all over in in the US or in Poland or or other parts and um and it's not like we don't know uh, how this affects women's uh, sexual experiences and other experiences. Everybody is clear on the outcome. Yeah. We are we clear just on have the to care rape. about it. Yes, we're clear on the rape culture. We we are clear on the the gender wage gap, um, and and there is, and we still have this huge disconnect. And uh, like I mean, I mean, my research sounds very very. Um, uh, like new and oh this is a new angle uh no <laughs> it's, Sadly not. It, it, there were like the, the, i think the first time it appeared in uh in in the development literature was at the, at the end of 80s like not very well developed but like mentioned and then mid 90s there were a couple of people who developed it pretty well and then it took another sort of almost eight, ten years till the next next wave of people taking this idea. And you would think thirty years later this would be mainstream, but it isn't. It's far from mainstream. So I think there is also this resistance. Like we don't, we we just kind of want to look away, and there is no money in it. There is no nobody wants to empower women. And then secondly, thinking about like gender equality and empowerment. Um, like empowering uh, women and girls um, are, you know, U- UN Sustainable Development Goals and and also, you know, very much part of the rhetoric uh, across international politics. But um, initiatives, both government, governmental and private, they all focus on widening participation and opportunities with the aim for women to become powerful consumers. <laughs> it's never really about what, you know, women's ability to make uh, decisions over their bodies and lives. And, and uh, it's in a system that is characterized by normative patriarchal practices. So like I said earlier about uh, Azerbaijan, so these are really hindrances to uh, bringing change. And then, and then an, an, another issue around that, how much uh, women's empowerment is politicized. The U.S. imposes military presence in Afghanistan with the rhetoric to liberate uh, women, but uh, shouldn't we liberate American women, or shouldn't we liberate Azerbaijani women? Um, like you know, this the women's uh, women's liberation being used uh, for political agendas is also not helping mm-hmm. at all. Like completely bypassing what what serves women and what would be good for women, and this kind of rhetoric also distorts the picture on gender equality when when. You know, the politics is talking about, oh, the inequality in the Middle East, gender inequality in the Middle East. So people think in America and in in the United Kingdom and other uh, developed countries that, yes, sure, we are powerful. (laughs) We are not in burqas. We are fine. (laughs) So so then, you know, that that kind of distorts our understanding uh, how bad the situation is because we are so focused on these other groups. And um, and then when you look at, uh, I don't know if you, you heard about the um, Justin Ang uh, Fonte in yeah, the US. Yeah, Justine's yes. been a guest on, on the podcast. Oh, really? Oh, I must listen to that. She's fabulous. But yeah, she experienced huge backlash and was called yeah. every name under the sun for daring to teach young people about sex education like exactly all she yeah. was doing she was bringing into uh, light consent and also that just telling people that 
you know people uh, porn is not documentaries yeah. and and that is that, that, not that and, radical was... like to yeah. you know concept <laughs> and she also had to battle obviously racism and sexism as well on, on top of Absolutely. you know the message that she's trying to get out as well but yeah it, it, it's it's used as an excuse to kind of distract i suppose from other things like yeah like you said the american liberation of afghanistan but yet at the moment they're trying to roll back abortion access in the u.s and yes you know the 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 sexual violence rate rates over there like there's like what is it four hundred thousand backlog of rape kits and stuff that like will just not get looked at and it's like yeah yeah we need to look at ourselves first before we liberate other countries sometimes and liberate in inverted commas there massively because yeah yeah yes doesn't doesn't quite it's, happen it's, a lot of the time yes it's 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 really really quite fascinating to look at this sort of multiple disconnects and uh and and i think this is um this is this kind of makes me really disillusioned about this whole and um and what i see is possible for a change uh as a disillusioned optimist <laughs> Is really this what we are doing here? Continue talking about issues, and then by sharing experiences and these uh, conversations, hopefully, uh, these conversations hopefully then then maybe build some sort of solidarity. And uh, and and answering your question, yeah, this is this is why I started uh, my website. Um, uh, pleasureequality.com and uh, where I invite uh, women to share their experiences and look at other women's experiences so they see that uh, this this is a systemic issue it's not an individual issue it's not just them or just their partner and um, and and this is why I started the channel as well to start talking about it and then <laughs> and then see if uh, you know if 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 if, if it resonates and uh, and if there is anyone out there who needs to hear this there's definitely people out there that need to hear of all genders and sexualities as well so that's fantastic so your youtube channel is pleasure equalities as well uh actually my my youtube channel bears my own name it's katalin ziga perfect perfect and you you are on um social media as well yes uh twitter and instagram as well um, and that's, uh, I think, pleasure equality for Twitter. And I think it's, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I'll tag I'm you in sure. it. <laughs> You're grand. I'm confused because it's, I couldn't get uh, the same thing for every one yeah, of them. Yeah, it's hard to kind of <laughs> process it all. No, no, don't worry. I'll find you on there. We'll tag you. We'll get there. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, listen, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. And I think, yeah, definitely That's please right. do come back on when it, when you do publish when you are a doctor, uh, Catalin, and then we, we can go from there. Um, and yeah, just because it is a conversation that needs to continuously happen as well and I love your approach to it so thank you so much for sharing your words with us today thank you for having me thanks Amel and um you know as usual thanks Amel to all my listeners I do encourage everyone to even just have those chats with your friends about the kind of topics that we've looked at today because I think you know we can all give it or give each other a helping hand along with this kind of conversations because they can be hard and we don't want to leave anyone behind as well so the more we inform each other the more we can build up that lovely kind of community of people who do have really good awesome experiences um, of sexual pleasure as well so on that note thanks Mel for listening and we'll chat to you next time <laughs>